Exodus 5.1, afterward Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straws for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose upon them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let heavier works be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. Their taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task, each day as when there was straw. The foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all of your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Uh, the chapter goes on, but I'm going to leave off a reading right there, even though we'll cover, Lord willing, all of it. Um, I, I don't want this to be a sermon. I want this to be an arrow in your heart. I want it to be such a compelling offer um, that it awakens all of us to the, to the reality that we still have open doors of deliverance right before us. Um, I don't think this is even prophetic. I'm just going to release this word. I just think it's reasonable that there are people in the room and you're living at a level that you know is beneath your identity in Jesus, but you have a thousand reasons why it's just not a convenient season for you to be pressing in. That you're literally learning to live at a lesser consecration, a lesser sanctification, a lesser holiness, and a lesser power. But it's not to say that everything's bad, it's just probably in your mind not as good as it could be, and you're assuming that there's going to be a more convenient season where you will press in, and meanwhile the clock's ticking and it's not in your favor. And so for all of us, there is a stupor in the land. There is an anesthesia, anesthesia that has fallen on the church that is causing us to go in and out of sleep and not feel the acuteness of the pain of conviction where God is saying to us, redeem the time for the days are evil. And the church, and I don't want to be a critic of the church, but nor do I want to be a consistent patter on the head and tell everybody it's okay when there are just some things that are not okay. 
And it's not so much that I'm coming against individuals in the church or even myself because I'm pre-convicted by what I'm going to preach. I'm already knowing what I'm going to preach, been convicted all week about it. But let me tell you who I'm mad at. I'm mad at that spiritual Pharaoh who is the devil, that other component of Pharaoh that is the flesh, and then this tyrant of Pharaoh that is coming at us with full speed that is the culture or the world system. That's Pharaoh. And so I want to talk to you about what it means because if God's about to deliver you, I can promise you something. It's going to come harder and heavier against you because not only can we discern when God is offering deliverance, breakthrough, victory, but the devil can discern it too. And so he doesn't play nice. He doesn't back off. He doesn't cooperate. If he's got you in one place and wants to keep you there or drag you lower, he's not about to step aside when God has determined that he's going to promote you, advance you, or elevate you. So he fights. What does he fight to do? He just fights to keep the, the chains that he's already got around you. He wants to keep them tighter, and he wants to add new ones. But this passage is about God's sovereign timetable when God looks at a mass of people with whom he is in covenant, and he says, I'm determining it's the season of deliverance. It's all initiated with the Lord. As a matter of fact, look at it. When we're talking about he's determining that it's time to get free, the scriptures tell us this in verse 1. Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and, and, and here's the, they're the messengers. Here's the message. Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. What is God's message to Pharaoh? Let my people go, and specifically here, that they can go out in the wilderness and hold a feast or a festival, it's sacrifice, it's worship. So just over the land in this century, in this, in this passage, God had looked on Israel's moaning, sighings, cryings, and groanings for 400 years, and God sovereignly determined that it would go no further. He sovereignly determined that his people had lived in, in chains long enough. He sovereignly determined that Pharaoh was no longer going to have the preeminent, predominant voice in the lives of Israel. So he says, now is the time that my people are going to go free. Pharaoh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to comply with me. Let my people go. Now, if you know anything about Pharaoh, we, when we don't have time to run this rabbit trail, but Pharaoh is a hard-hearted man who's about to become more hard-hearted, and God's going to help him out with the process. Because Pharaoh hardens his heart, and God says, oh, is that the direction you want to go? Well, let me help you along a little way. So God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And so Pharaoh said no to God, and God took that hard-hearted moment, and he said, we're going to make it even harder. So where there was deep conflict between Pharaoh, the one who kept the people enslaved, and God, the one who had determined the people would go free. And so we see this. This is the, just I'm, put this name up on the screen, Pharaoh. Pharaoh. He is the tenacious adversary of deliverance and freedom for Israel in the, in the book of Exodus. In our day, because we're not dealing with a human tyrant, we don't wrestle primarily with flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against the enemy himself, spiritual wickedness, spiritual wickedness and darkness and the spirit of the age and the actual identity and activity of Satan who is not a fable, not a figment of imagination, not a representation of all that is bad, but an actual fallen angel, angel, the chief of all rebellion against God, and he is active like a lion, seeking the ones that he may devour. Or if we could say it a different way, seeking whom he can keep in chains. And so he is here. It can also represent, and I believe that we have to um, at least speak this, 
Pharaoh, we can't blame everything on the devil. I, I personally believe I don't have as much regular engagement with the devil and his demons as I do the second component of what Pharaoh represents or can represent, and that's our flesh. Your flesh, listen to me, your flesh will never cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Never. You actually never get your flesh to tame itself. The only thing that happens to the flesh is crucifixion. The flesh has to die. Now, what happens is when God begins to move in deliverance towards his people, what, what oftentimes Christians who are positionally right with God, what they often do is they say, well, let me just try to accommodate what God's wanting to do. And at the same time, let me try to manage this in my flesh. So instead of putting the flesh to death, we just try to get it down to a workable, manageable level where we can still have a, a semblance of somewhat of a spiritual life. And that's not what, what God's offering. God says, no, I actually want to bring you into the reality where you don't have to deal with your flesh at all from a posture of obedience or management. But when your flesh rises up, you remind it who's in authority and that you don't have to pay a single debt to your flesh. We are not debtors to the flesh, Paul wrote. I told you this would be hot and heavy. Y'all look scared. Just exhale. Why would God want to bring deliverance? Well, look at the highest goal of this freedom and deliverance. He, he says to Pharaoh, I want you to let my people go so they can hold a feast to me. I want them to hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Um, deliverance is not, not really a primarily practical matter about what you're willing to go after in the Christian life. Deliverance is about the glory of God on your life, the, how the name of Jesus is magnified through your life. It is all about the revelation of the goodness of God and how many of us need to get reacquainted with the reality that to the degree that we're not pursuing full deliverance, to that same degree, the glory of God is dimmed in our life. And so ultimately, God says, I want you delivered because the, the primary goal is your worship and your consecration unto me so that it glorifies me in your generation so that we can experience intimacy with him, so that we can know the pleasure of God, his pleasure on us and our pleasure in him. And we can't do that in a state of being chained or enslaved or being, being hemmed in by what the devil's doing or what our flesh is trying to dictate or what the world is piping into our spirit about what is appropriate and good and elevated and prioritized. We have to be delivered. We have to come out of it. We have to recognize the, 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 that the ways of God are not like the ways of our flesh. They're certainly not like the ways of the devil and they're definitely diametrically opposed to the ways of this world. And yet, friends, if we are just going with the flow, that means literally as we are going with the flow, we're doing so in some level of bondage and enslavement. So they have, Moses and Aaron have stepped in as the representatives of Israel in the presence of Pharaoh, and they've said, God is decreeing that it is time for his people to get free. So what we'd like to think is, you know, that we just boldly, we just go in the presence of Pharaoh and we claim it, we declare it, we decree it, we soak it with the blood of Jesus. We appeal just like we did earlier. We, do, we say all of the words. We think now that we've done that, it's going to be coast. It's going to be easy because Pharaoh's heard the truth and Pharaoh's going to get out of the way. We'll look at verses 2, 3, and 4 because we see this militant resistance against freedom. Pharaoh says, who's the Lord? Who is the Lord that I? Because Pharaoh viewed himself as a God and so did all of Egypt. 
who's the Lord that I should obey his voice and let you go? And then this, I don't know the Lord. And by the way, I will not let Israel go. And then he says this, go back to your burdens. Go back to your burdens. Go back to your burdens. That's the enemy's message for every single Christian who is longing for greater freedom. For every single Christian who is coming to a place of obstinance towards sin, saying, I'm just not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to be that kind of woman. I'm not going to be that kind of man. I'm not going to continue to tolerate this stronghold in my life. I'm not okay with being okay with things that are not okay. I, I, I'm just not going to do it, so I'm going to get free. And the flesh says, you think so? And the devil says, oh, you really think I'm just going to let you go? And the world system says, where are you going to go? Because I, the world system, I'm everywhere. And immediately you start experiencing resistance. Now, the message is about what happens just before deliverance. So a little bit of a, um, you know, a highlight to those of you that don't know the story here. Um, Israel gets free. Israel gets delivered. God does 10 amazing, visible, public, and supernatural, sensational works to get Pharaoh's heart to finally let Israel go free. So they go free, but that's chapters later. And in between the decree of God that they will be free, and if you read the, first, the last verse of chapter number four, it says Moses and Aaron told Israel that God had heard their cries and they were going to get delivered, and all Israel begins to worship and, and just to, to be just completely moved that God was now going to set them free. So the people believed it, Moses and Aaron believed it, but Pharaoh didn't believe it. So what does Pharaoh do? Pharaoh fights. Some of you are experiencing in this season one of the most uh, intense levels of internal and external resistance to your walk with God. And I'm just bold enough to say that for some of you, and only you can know, but for some of you, it's because you sense this as the season where God is saying, I'm going to set you free. I'm going to release you. I'm going to transform components of your life that have been a thorn, they've been a weight, they have been a stronghold. I'm going to be tearing those down. You're going to cooperate. And so you're at that place. You're saying, yes, I know the Lord is moving. I know I can't be who I've been. I know I need freedom. I know I'm lacking power. I know that I don't sense the amount of the fruit of the spirit that should be in my life. And I'm tired of it. So Lord, here am I. Set me free, Jesus. And the Lord says, okay. And you're saying, okay. But the devil says to both you and the Lord, I don't think so. Now, before you start thinking it's an even fight, it's not. But this is what I've learned, and I've seen it in Scripture, and I see it in my own life, and I, I've just been around long enough to where I see this. God is sovereign and could instantly wipe out Pharaoh. He could actually so reverse things in a nanosecond that all Israel became the master and all Egypt became the slave. He could do all of that. He could strike Pharaoh dead. He could topple it. He could evaporate it. He could zap him from heaven. God can take care of all of it himself, but he doesn't. He always, almost always, works in cooperation with the people that name his name. So in other words, let me say this boldly. If you want to be free, you can be. But if you're waiting on God to do it all, you'll be waiting forever. 
it requires our cooperation. We say, okay, I'm ready to cooperate. Good. Let me give you part B. Part B is this, that when you say it is time because God has said it is a time, when your desires get so, so tantamount or paramount that you can't, you can't live the way you used to live, when you're knowing it's time for a shift and the enemy comes against you, don't despair because that's what the enemy's supposed to do. That's why you're sensing the battle. So what does it look like? Because Pharaoh has said no, and as a matter of fact, he says to them, why don't you get back to the things that burdened you? And isn't that like life sometimes? We come in on a Sunday, we experience the glorious presence of God. We hear crystallized in our spirit what he's speaking through the word when the mirror of the word is held up to us. We know in a moment what he's saying. We surrender, we experience some move of the spirit. We humble ourselves, we repent where it's necessary. We say, yes, Lord, now be, let this be the season. And then you walk out the front door and immediately the first breath you take is the breath of the reality of your burdens. Because your circumstances didn't change while you spent an hour in the church house or an hour in the prayer room. Why am I telling you all this? It's certainly not to discourage you, but it's to encourage you to keep pressing in because God requires your cooperation in this. Uh, let's just get back to the text. Let me go through verses. I'm not going to read them all, but let me, let me just show you how the enemy works. I just want you to see this. So if this is the way he's working in your life, let's expose the enemy. Let's go ahead and shine the light. Let's tell on the devil. So you can see it in your own life and, and that you'll know where to direct your warfare because the enemy pushes back at his hardest right before you're about to be delivered. That's where he's going to fight you the hardest. He doesn't fight the complacent Christian. All he does is check the chains and make sure they were, still were, are where they were the day before. He doesn't have to fight those that he's already got chained. He's going to fight the hardest against those that it looks like they're trying to get free. So what did that look like for ancient Israel? Well, he clearly says in verses um, 6 through 9, he says, to all those that were his underlings, he says, burden the people. Remember, he had just told them, go back to your burdens. And now he is saying, well, let me read it. The same day, the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters, those are his Egyptian servants, of the people and their foremen. The foremen were Hebrews who had oversight of other slaves. They were slaves, but they had been promoted to have oversight. And so here's the message to them. You shall no longer give people straw to make the bricks. As in the past, let them now go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it. And then in verse 9, let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it. What does that mean? Well, they were brick makers. That's what the Hebrew slaves did. Come home from work, what'd you do today? I made bricks. Come home the next day, what'd you do today? I made bricks. Who'd you make bricks with? All the other brick makers, that's what we do. We're slaves, we make bricks. We are dirt, uh, dirt builders. And they would take straw, and it was a binding agent around the bricks, and it would hold it together. So straw was a vital part of their brick making. And so what Pharaoh does, is, is this is the spirit of it. Pharaoh's like, oh, you want to be free? You want to be free, do you? Well, let me tell you what my response is to your freedom. How about I make your former level of enslavement even worse? You think you're going to get free? You're going to play hardball? I'll play hardball. And so he says this. He says to the, to the foreman and to his Egyptian uh, underlings, he says, don't give them any straw, let them go and find it, but don't remove or lessen the quota. Matter of fact, make the work not only hard to do, make it impossible to do. 
For a second, if they think they're getting free, I will show them that I do not let my people go. They may think they belong to this God they've mentioned, but I tell you, I've had the rule over them. They're not getting free. And if they think they're getting free, I'm going to make their former situation look like a cakewalk. I'm going after it. I'm going to make it even worse. He says, increase the burdens that are on them. Now, in that is a picture of how the devil operates. We start getting a move of God in our lives. We start hearing the voice of the Lord. We start getting reacquainted with the word of God. And we actually start believing it in an intense level. We start obeying it at an intense level. We start sensing the Holy Spirit churning in our human spirit again. And things are looking like they're going to begin to shift. And what does the devil do? He doesn't snap his fingers and say, man, we lost another one. He ratchets up all of the demonic forces that he can and says, I want her staying in her chains. I want him staying addicted to his lust. I want her mouth to continue to spew out gossip and slander. I want them perpetually negative. I want them cynical. I want them critical. I want them hopeless. I want them suspicious of God. Demons go accuse God to them and then accuse them to them and then accuse everybody else to them so they'll feel all alone and isolated and victimized. Go after him. Don't let him get free. And could look a hundred different ways, but that's the spirit of it. What is it? Burden the people. Why? Because his ultimate purpose is not simply to burden the people. It's to break the people. Verse number 10, Pharaoh says, I will not give you straw. Go get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people are scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to get stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, intense, and they were saying, complete your work, your daily task every day is when there was straw. So the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, they were beaten. They were physically beaten. And they were asked, why have you not done all of your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? So the enemy knows something, and this is maybe a season that we can expose here. If he can perpetually burden you, he knows that he will eventually break you. He, he doesn't mind taking his time. He's kind of like sometimes you ever watch those Nat Geo, National Geographic uh, documentaries, and they'll, they'll show sometimes the, the, the lions or the cheetahs, and they, they make a slow kill out of that gazelle or that antelope that they catch. They could kill it like that, but there's literally something in the animal kingdom where sometimes they make sport of their kill before they actually kill it. And the devil's fine with that. He doesn't mind killing us slowly. He just doesn't ever want us to get free. And so what does he do? He just, it's death by paper cut. It's just another layer of irritation, another layer of disappointment, another layer of abandonment, another layer of a setback, another relapse, another moment where you didn't live up to what you know you should have lived up to, another step backwards in the midst where you were trying to go forward. He doesn't care how he does it. He'll burden you and burden you and burden you. And when those burdens get stacked up enough, he can break you. And that's the way that he operates. He also operates in accusation in verses 15, 16, and 17. So now you've got the foreman. You've got the Hebrew, the chief of the Hebrew slaves, if you want to call it that way. They oversaw the other Hebrew slave groups. And the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why are you treating your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, but they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. They're trying to reason with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh goes for the accusation. He goes, oh, you're just idle. You're idle. That is why you're saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. 
So this is the way the enemy works. The enemy sets up an impossible to win situation. The enemy brings you down through burden after burden after burden until he reaches your, you reach your breaking point. And then when you're at your weakest, he takes the characterization of all he's been warring against you with and he tells you it's your fault. That's the way the enemy works. He's coming at you, trying to undermine you, trying to weaken you, trying to burden you, trying to break you. And then he whispers to you, and it's all your fault. In essence, the, the true-to-life Pharaoh was saying to Israel, you just got too much time on your hands. You guys are idle. That's why you think you have time to go out and worship your God. So I just showed you how to better use your time. I'm just burdening you and burdening you and burdening you. Let me tell you what we can learn from this little segment before moving on. Um, the four men go into reason with Pharaoh. And you can't reason with Pharaoh. Pharaoh is unreasonable, whether it's your flesh, whether it's the devil, or whether it's the world system. Now, remember with me, the last verse in the previous chapter, all the people knew that God was determining to set them free. And they rejoice. So they're, they're in the context of being told you're about to get free. But when trouble hits, notice what they do. They start negotiating with that which has formerly enslaved them. They, they start saying to Pharaoh, um, hey, okay, how about we just go back to the way it was? We, we're not even here to ask for freedom right now. We're just saying, don't make, us, don't make it harder on us than what it was. Because we had learned how to be slaves under the former level of sla enslavement. But you've made it worse, so we'd like to negotiate with you. Can we just get back to where we were? And they've lost the fact that God's not telling them to learn how to manage the thing that they need to be delivered from. God is saying, no, I'm actually here to set you completely free. But when the devil doesn't want to, or Pharaoh doesn't want to get the people free, they go back in and they're saying, okay, hey, um, how about we just go back to the way it was? Now, some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't, but some of you do. Some of you know that, that when, when you started walking with Jesus, things got harder on you. They didn't get easier. Literally, I wish that kind of teaching would perish from off the American church, that come to Jesus and everything gets easy. What a, what a stinking lie. It's just a lie. Because when you're lost, you're, you're not at war with the devil. You're already his victim. But when you get saved, you actually immediately enlist in the army that opposes the devil, so he makes warfare against you. It gets harder. You have greater resources, you have greater power, you have promised victory, but that is not in the absence of an actual fight. You have to put your flesh to death. You have to de deny the world system from in infiltrating your mind and your heart and your values and your actions and your longings. You actually have to live in intentional opposition against the forces of darkness. And what happens is so many Christians, they, they hit that place where they're sensing the warfare, they're sensing the resistance, they're sensing the weakness. And they, they have the same impulse that these Hebrew foremen did. They, they want to negotiate and say, okay, we're not going to press in anymore. <laughs> we, we don't need to be like the super Christian. We're, we're just happy to have our names written in the book of life and we'll just kind of fly under the radar. We, we, we don't necessarily want to bring great glory to God because we don't have to deal with a great resistance from the devil. And friends, that's not why we were born again. We were born again to be radical followers of Jesus. We were born again to look death in the face and say, is that all you've got? We're born again not to bow to demonic strongholds, but to topple them. We're born again to look at the world system and figure out by grace, humility, but determined love, how can we love the people in the world system while at the same time exposing and denouncing the world system? 
We're not called to negotiate with the enemy. We're not called to cordon off just one part of our flesh that we can't get victory over and then uh, kind of overcompensate it for in a lot of areas where we already have victory. We don't negotiate with Pharaoh. And the foreman did. So what happens? Well, when you can't get free, when the Pharaoh system won't cooperate with you, where your life becomes harder and your burdens are breaking you, and you've got nobody to blame, look at what Israel did. They got bitter. Verses 18. So Pharaoh says, go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. He's just telling them over and over again, you're doomed, you're not getting out, it's hopeless. That's what it is. That's the message of Pharaoh against us. It's never going to change. It's never going to get better. You're doomed. Quit trying. You're, you're a slave. You're never going to get free. You're never going to overcome. So the foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble. And it says in verse number 20, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, this is what they said to Moses and Aaron. The Lord look on you and judge because you made us to stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and put a sword in, sword in their hand to kill us. Welcome to leadership. Pharaoh's causing all the trouble, but Moses, representing the, our deliverer, Jesus, is the one receiving the indictment from the people. It's not just human leadership that receives these kind of pushbacks. That happens, but it, that rings a little hollow when the guy preaching it has experienced it. So I don't even want to go there and say, quit blaming your pastor for your problems. That, that's just kind of, a, kind of a given. But I think if we're being precise here, Moses represents the deliverer. He represents the son of God, Jesus Christ, who came to set you free. And when the devil is fighting you, it is so common for people to get bitter at their deliverer, to get upset with the Lord, to say to themselves, well, if God is good, then why is this happening? If, if I'm, I'm trying to obey, I'm trying to get free, I'm trying to crucify the flesh, I'm, I'm trying to live uh, uh, separated from the world system, I'm in the word, I'm praying, I'm pressing in, and my life is getting hairy, my life is getting heated, my life is, is not easy. And Jesus, I don't know what you're doing up there, but I just want to make sure you know, I'm not allowed to say this, but I'm going to say it. I don't like the way you're running things. That's what they said to Moses, except it was more intense. They get in Moses' presence. Now, let's look at the, I mean, Israel doesn't have the benefit of having a full Bible to have learned from. So they, they're just acting, I think, for, in their context, reasonably. The picture it paints for us is not a reasonable picture. But for them, you got to think. 400 years of slavery, 80-year-old Moses comes in. He can't even talk for himself. He has to hijack his brother Aaron, his older brother who's 83, to come in and get in the presence of Pharaoh. Moses has shown up on the scene saying, yeah, God talked to me in a burning bush a little while back, and it's time. We're getting free. Hallelujah. We're getting free. This is the glory days. It's revival. Breakthrough's about to happen. Come on, Israel. And Israel's like, hallelujah, we've been waiting for this. Go up there and talk to Pharaoh. And so Moses goes in there. Moses is thinking, I'm doing everything God told me to do. I got the right timing. I got the right message. I'm coming with the right spirit, no longer trusting in my fleshly confidence like I did when I was uh, 40 years old and tried to deliver Israel one, one murder at a time. I'm, 
I'm, I'm literally in the will of God, and so I stand in the presence of Pharaoh, and I says, my God says it's time for you to let my people go. And Pharaoh doesn't budge an inch. As a matter of fact, Pharaoh bows up on Moses and says, let, let me tell you what I'm going to do, and we've read all about that. Notice that it says the very day that Moses went in. Pharaoh didn't waste a moment. Moses leaves, and Pharaoh says, by the way, here's the new rules for Israel. They can't do this, and so let's kick back, gentlemen, and let's watch how they have to go find the straw. They have to make the bricks. We're going to let the quota remain the same. He sets it up impossible for them to succeed. So the people now look at Moses and say, what did you do? You have caused us to stink in the sight or the nose of Pharaoh. Everything Moses did was right and within the will of God. Mark it down. Things got worse. How are you interpreting your present circumstance? Could it be that you are in the will of God? Could it be that you're pressing into the best of your ability? Could it be that you're presenting your body a living sacrifice daily unto the Lord? Could it be that to the best of your sanctified ability as you depend on the Holy Spirit, that you are actually seeking the Lord wholeheartedly and your flesh seems to be getting worse, the devil seems to be getting more militant in his opposition against you, and the world system seems to be all the more alluring to you when you're trying to press in? Friends, I'm just going to confess this. In my seasons where I know, I can look back now, I didn't see it most of the time when it was happening, but I'm learning now to see it as it happens. When I know that God is seeking to take me from, if I can call it this, it's not the best language for it, but from one level to the next, from one link of a chain that's still on me to complete freedom from all of that previous chain, I know that the enemy fights. I know that my flesh rages. Where, where things that I, I have been delivered from, all of a sudden I start thinking about again, wondering about again. Things that maybe haven't entered into my mind in years or a decade or more. And all of a sudden I'm feeling susceptible in my flesh. Just very quickly here. Temptation is not a sin. It's what you do with it determines whether it's a sin or not. Temptation is a tactic from the enemy and the fact that you're getting tempted doesn't mean you're backslidden it just means there's war on you and he always pairs the temptation with accusation and so it leaves us in this vulnerable state where we're actually pressing into the Lord but we're feeling so weak and we're, 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 we're growing in our awareness of his goodness and his love and his kindness and his holiness and we're thinking oh if I could just know his holiness more I'll feel more holy. I promise you this. If you're growing in your awareness of God's holiness, you will come to pretty painful terms with the fact that you ain't holy. And it's not in a spirit of condemnation. It's meant to humble us and meant to love and appreciate his grace and mercy all the more. But these guys, they just said, hey, Moses, I don't know what you did up there, uh, but it didn't work. And uh, we need plan B. And Moses doesn't give any response. Um, I, I, I will say this, and then I'm going to finish just these last few verses, and we'll go. I probably need five extra minutes. Um, their hearts were bitter against their, their human leaders. This doesn't have to be in a pastoral context or a local church context, but I, I just want to add this. 
right before your deliverance, those whom God has appointed to lead you out of any bondage, they'll likely first lead you into a crisis of faith and a heaviness of circumstances. Because that's what this message, by the way, is designed to do. If you're wondering what is the design of this message, it's to bring anybody who's willing to a crisis of faith saying, do I really want to press in to know the Lord? Do I really want to invite the backlash of the enemy? How badly do I so long for the glory of God to be revealed to me and through me that I am willing for the battle that accompanies, accompanies that longing? Do I really want that? And it brings you to a crisis of faith because, guys, listen, the message of the modern church, not everywhere, but the modern American church, the underlying message is that come to the Lord, obey the best you can, and your life's going to be really good and easy. That's kind of like the underlying message in the church right now. And I'm just here to tell you, I love you too much to lie to you. Um, it's not only a war, but, but the, the Christian life is a war. And if we never sense the warfare, it, you have to ask the question, what side am I functionally living on? And so when we, when we recognize that when God wants to bring freedom to us, Jesus leads us into these crisis moments where we, we're actually having to look at things as they are and we have to say, I'm counting the cost, but I, I need to determine whether I want to pay the cost. Counting the cost and paying it are two separate things. Counting the cost is awareness. Paying the cost is surrender. And so we get down to these last few verses. And this is where I just push back from the table and say, hallelujah, I love my Lord, because God determines to school everybody. Pharaoh's about to get schooled. It takes a long time for it to happen, several chapters. Moses is about to get schooled, and the people of Israel are about to get schooled. And so I present myself as an, an ongoing student of the nature and the ways of the Lord, and I get schooled. And I'd just like to suggest that you, you and I do well to remember that we haven't graduated. We're still learning. We're still in the college of God's ways and will. And we've learned a bunch, but we don't, we don't have our, our degree in hand yet. And so look at what Moses does, because this is what leaders do when the people are mad. <laughs> they get into the presence of the Lord. Moses turned to the Lord and said, now watch this. I love the way the ancient Jews prayed. Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you've not delivered your people at all. How many of you pray like that? We don't pray like that. If we do, we're moving because we think God can't hit a moving target. You're like, we don't pray like that. I think that's probably why we don't get honest breakthrough to the level that a lot of people in the Old Testament did. Because we treat God like a dignitary that we need to be polite with instead of a father that is just gloriously beyond our comprehension. And, and so Moses gets in the presence of God and he says, um, I, I don't know if you remember this. I didn't want this job. I did not sign up for this. I gave you every reason to leave me, leave me with the sheep in Midian, but you wouldn't let me go, and I've obeyed you. I've done everything you've said. I haven't dropped the ball. I, I said what I was supposed to say to Pharaoh, 
And Lord, the situation has gone from bad to worse. Out of the frying pan, into the fire. And he, he, he just says, you haven't done what you're supposed to do. Go ahead and get honest. We don't pray it because we're too religious. But God reads the groans of our hearts as if they were the loudest, heaviest, articulated prayer that came out of our mouths. And just before the deliverance comes to you, it is highly likely that you're going to be in a situation where you're looking at the Lord saying, I don't think you're going to come through. You haven't come through. My bad situation where I was, when I started out in this bad situation at confidence level 10 out of 10, that bad situation has gone from bad to worse. And now I don't know what you're doing and I don't even know if I know who you are. I know, Naomi, I think me and you, we probably should have just done this one-on-one -on -one discipleship. <laughs> My sister, always an encouragement. Some of you are feeling that. Some of, uh, some of us in the room went through addiction. I was intensely addicted to drugs and alcohol for so long. And I remember um, it wasn't a physical struggle for me to stop doing drugs. I was instantly delivered, but let me tell you what I had to do because I was still living in an environment where drugs were always around me for the first six months of my salvation because I was in an apartment lease. Do you know what I had to do? I didn't waltz in and stand in the middle of all the snorting and smoking and bonging. I didn't just stand there and, and say, glory to God, hallelujah, I'm saved, I'm redeemed. You know what I did? I walked through the den where all that was going on and I went into my bedroom and I shut the door and I got on my face and got in the word because I didn't trust my flesh. Pharaoh was on the other side of the wall saying, Jeff, just come out here and reason with me a little bit. I know what it feels like to be in an impossible situation and I wish I had a glamorous code of conduct to release to you right now and I don't. Let me tell you what it is. It's war and you do what you need to do to survive until the breakthrough comes. Say, so Jeff, that doesn't sound spiritual. Well, I haven't done drugs in 25 plus years. After living as an addict, I think it's pretty spiritual. It just doesn't, it, it, I just didn't presume that God would do it all for me. I had, to, I had to cooperate with the process. And some of us want God to do stuff for us while we're still having lunch with Pharaoh every day. You wanna change? Get real about it. This is big boy, big girl time right now. Get real about it. Stop wishing for it and start pressing in for it. Cut off the, 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 the sources of, of aggravation to your soul. Get radical. Jesus says, hey, if you've got a problem with lust, pluck out your eye. I'm not, I'm not talking about physically doing that, but Jesus is saying in that, he's saying you need to get radical about it. It may be you get a flip phone instead of a smartphone. It may be that you don't have internet access anymore. It may be that you are daily, maybe twice a day, accountable to somebody that will help you with your issue. If you've got an issue with your mouth and you're around people that are loose with their speech and they, they say things and talk about things that are a grievance to your soul, do you know what you do? You don't reason with them. If they're not reasonable, you cut the source off. See, we talk about wanting to get delivered and then we go to Home Depot to find a stronger linkage of chain to wrap around us. And we've got to get radical about this thing. Why? Because God's radical about it. And it's available and it's possible and it's free. 
But if we're waiting on Gabriel and Michael to descend into our living room and sprinkle some magic heaven dust on us, that's not the way it works. And so Moses is saying to God, this thing has gotten bad. I'm going to end it right here. Chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Say, oh no, he's gone into a new chapter. Two verses, I'm done. The Lord said to Moses, now, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he's going to be chasing you guys out of Egypt. And with a strong hand, he's going to drive them out of this land. And then I like this. I'm just ending in verse 2. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, my name is Yahweh. My name is Yahweh. My name is Yahweh. Moses, Israel reached their end. Moses, you've reached your end. And now, 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 that nobody has any other hope, I want you to know where your hope is. My name is Yahweh. My name is Yahweh. Stop talking to me about Pharaoh, Moses. My name is Yahweh. Stop talking to me, church, about your temptations in the sense that you're in bondage. My name is Jesus. Stop talking to me about your human opposition. My name is Jesus. Stop talking to me about the accuser and the demonic assault on you. My name is Jesus. Stop talking to me about your guilt and shame and the fact that your daddy didn't hug you. My name is Jesus. Stop talking to me about your spouses and affirming. My name is Jesus. Stop talking to me about the hedonistic culture. My name is Jesus. My name is Jesus. My name is Jesus. Here comes your deliverance. Would you stand to your feet? Now, he says, now. For some of you, right now is your now. Right now is your now. I'm telling you, God has made the way. God has done everything that God needs to do. What may be lacking is you aligning your mind with the fact that you already inherently possess the victory if you possess Jesus. You have that. That sounds like church talk, but it's actually very important. If you have Jesus, you have the victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. You have it presently, the victory. But he's waiting on you right now to say, I'm going to fully align my thinking. I'm going to get radical about the things that keep dragging me down. If the Lord is the chain breaker, then when he has broken the chains, I'm stepping out of them. I'm not going to do it. And friends, as much as I would like to tell you that all you've got to do is say a prayer right now, I'm not going to insult you with that because if that's all it took, you'd already be, de be delivered. What you've got to do is confess your dependence upon Jesus Christ and die daily. You've got to crucify your flesh instead of bringing it back to life through what you watch and what you do and what you say and with whom you associate. You've got to actually put to death the things that are cracking the whip over your soul. God splits seas, but we have to walk across on the dry land. So if you're in a place here this morning and this resonates with you, as I know it does with many of you, I don't actually know how to tell you how to press in other than saying, I think he'll tell you if you're serious about it. If we are serious about it, and it's not a one-time one thing, it's not a kapow, and then we walk on the water for the rest of our days. It is a daily thing, and you will gain strength. And it won't always be this full-on assault that you're sensing. You'll actually recognize the assault, but you'll sense the victory instead of saying that you have the victory, but primarily feeling the assault.
So, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, this is where I'm, I, I have nothing to impart and release, Lord, except truth. My power can't help them. God, your power can. You are Yahweh. You are God Almighty, the God of covenant, the God of power, the God of promise. We choose to believe you in a moment of faith. And I'm going to encourage you right now, wherever you need to repent, repent. I don't care if you've done it a thousand times before. Repent. Believe. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Actualize the victory that is ours in Christ. Let us be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Crush the head of the serpent and release your people. In Jesus' name, amen.